Welcome to our podcast on systems thinking, systems leading. For the regular listeners to our podcasts, you will know that uh, we follow up from our seminars uh, and we pull out some key points from our highlight reports and we have a, a chance to hear from some of our speakers and contributors to the seminar on perhaps some different reflections they may provide beyond that from the seminar itself, but also a chance for those who didn't attend the seminar to just add a little bit of colour to the report that they've perhaps uh, read following on from it. So I'm delighted to be joined uh, today by Dave Parkin. Uh, he's the project director of HiNet, and I don't want to steal Dave's thunder by explaining what HiNet is. So I'm going to hand that straight over to to Dave. Perhaps, Dave, you could just introduce yourself, your role, uh, beyond what I've already done, and just give us a, a quick highlight. So what is HiNet? Great. Thanks very much, Andy. And yeah, it was a real pleasure to be able to uh, speak at the conference last week. And I think HiNet absolutely fits the bill in terms of being a, a complex system, because sometimes people talk about HiNet as being a project. It's actually an ecosystem of projects, uh, all bound together, really, by, by a common narrative around industrial decarbonisation at scale across the northwest of, of England and North Wales. Um, and the way we do that is in, in two ways. So essentially, there are two big, complex engineering systems which are interlinked. Um, so one of those is carbon capture and storage. So what we're doing is we are um, capturing carbon emissions from energy intensive industries. So big emitters like energy from waste plants, like cement plants, like oil refineries. We're capturing those, those carbon dioxide emissions, we're putting them in the pipeline, we're taking them offshore, um, we're injecting them deep under the seabed and we're going to store those in, in perpetuity. The other half of the system is by producing low carbon hydrogen. Uh, and what we're going to do there is we're going to use natural gas to feedstock. We're going to clean up that natural gas. We're going to turn it into low carbon hydrogen and we're going to take that hydrogen through a pipeline system to industrial users of natural gas today. So big, uh, big industrial users like Pilkington Glass, like Unilever, like Jaguar Land Rover, Kellogg's, Heinz, all use vast amounts of natural gas today. If we can switch them to low carbon hydrogen, then that allows them to decarbonize. Um, so HiNet brings together those two technical systems, but beyond that, there is this really complex set of systems around the commercial structures, the regulatory frameworks, the legislative agenda, and I'm sure we can unpack all of that as we go through the uh, discussion. And my role in all of that, I'm the project director. Um, I helped originate the project back in 2016. Um, so I bring together all of that landscape, do a lot of the uh, liaison with, with government to make all of this work and a lot with local stakeholders as well um, as we progress the project. Yes, sir. thanks. Thanks, Dave. So I was fascinated by um, a couple of aspects of the, the HiNet um, ecosystem of projects, um, as you describe it. Uh, one is the, you know, you've got on the one hand, you've got this uh, joining of the two complex systems, the, the hydrogen system and the, the carbon system, but also um, in terms of, of a system or, you know, of or the integration of these two systems, you are creating a new market, essentially. Uh, so it's that both working with organisations um, to build that infrastructure for the supply, but then you're also working with, you know, organisations and partners around ensuring that there's the demand for those as well. So I saw it as this real, you know, it's not just a, a system, it's actually a, a market that, that's uh, being created at, at the same time. So it, how what how does how do you go about from a, a leadership perspective in 
in creating a market like that because it's not a as such it's not a sort of a top-down policy uh implementation this is a you know, sort of a, a ground up uh coalition of organizations coming together to deliver this yeah i think that's a really good articulation of of what HiNet is it is it is more than two conjoined engineering systems it is it is a market creation and i think if you go back to 2016, this is a twinkle in the eye of a few people and, and one or two organisations. And and what we have what we've managed to do over the last sort of six years is is build that market. Um, and there's there's several sort of engineering bits to it, and I'll talk about those first because they're sometimes the simplest bits to get your head around. So you know you have to make the hydrogen, you have to make it at scale. So there's there's a hydrogen production bit of the jigsaw, and then you need to get the hydrogen to to use it. So there's a there's a pipeline system, um, and then interestingly, some of our users don't want to use hydrogen all the time. So a big power station is only going to turn on when the wind doesn't blow. Um, so you need to be able to store hydrogen at scale. That acts as your big battery. So you've got a big hydrogen storage piece. So that all needs to be integrated technically um, in a dynamic way so that you can model all of the supply and demand scenarios and make sure that you've got a system that works. But then over the, you need to overlay on the top of that, um, how, do you, how do you get users to come on board? How do you persuade users that actually this is technically viable for them, that it's commercially sensible. Uh, and there's a number of things which we've done there. So again, picking up on the technical one first, we've run a, a series of industrial scale trials for, for major industrial. So last year we did Pilkington Glass and Unilever. We're working with Kellogg's, uh, with Heinz, with PepsiCo and various others this year to convert their existing manufacturing facilities from natural gas to hydrogen say, look, you know, you can do this. It's relatively straightforward. It's relatively low cost. We're going to run a trial for for a month on hydrogen, and that really helps win hearts and minds in those organisations to say, yeah, this is technically viable, um, and it's not space age. It's not that difficult. It's essentially it's just a different pipe. It's a different burner. It's a different control system. But beyond that, it's business as usual. You then also need to build a commercial framework because hydrogen is more expensive than natural gas. Um, and no industrial working on a tight margin is going to do that just for the fun of it. So you, you need to build a commercial structure whereby they are no worse off. And in fact, given that this is slightly higher risk for them, they need to be slightly better off to give them an incentive to, to make that switch. Mm -hmm. So we've worked with, with government over the last sort of few years to build a support scheme, um, a commercial regulatory structure, which allows the, the produced hydrogen to essentially be retailed at the cost of natural gas. Um, so the user will see no cost increase and they will actually see a benefit because they're not paying for the cost of emitted carbon, which they would pay for when, they, uh, when they're using natural gas. So you need to put together the technical demonstration, the actual infrastructure roadmap and the commercial structure to pull all of that together. And then the last point, which I think has been massively helpful, is over the last six years, the, the landscape has changed for a lot of our industrials. They are getting really strong demand signals from their business customers, from their public customers, that they need to decarbonize. So they're seeing a big a big carrot, um, if you will, to, to get into the market for low carbon products, which they can only produce by using hydrogen instead of natural gas. So they were seeing real corporate pull as well, which is helping create particularly that business to business market. Fascinating. And with that sort of commercial system, you know, that different systems, overlaying each other you also you also mentioned sort of the the regulatory frameworks as well and, and and if i recall from your your talk you know there was a long list of them so not least so you've got off gem you've got the environment agency the health and safety executive and so on so did you 
work with those sort of bilaterally or did you have to sort of bring them together to so that the, the mix of regulatory environment supports the, the the high net scheme as a whole yeah so the way the way we've done things is uh, all of those regulators that you've mentioned have existing regulatory frameworks uh, which are not quite fit the purpose of what we're doing but are not too far off so for example Ofgem already regulate uh, natural gas pipelines onshore uh, it's not a big stretch of the imagination to see them regulating hydrogen pipelines onshore it's a bit more of a stretch to see them regulating carbon dioxide pipelines but you know you could you could see that mechanism falling into place so what we've tended to do um, is is work with government in the first instance um, initially collectively as an industry which has been very powerful uh, so you go back two three four years there was a group called the ccs advisory group which was government and industry working about working out what the structure of these commercial sort of and regulatory business models is going to be um, now that we've got the broad structure of those government has started to look at okay what regulatory bodies do we need to put those in place the energy security bill is going to legislate to confer powers on those regulators but at the same time those regulators have had to build up their skills their capabilities their knowledge base for the energy transition and i'll be quite blunt some are some are further down that journey than others um, but what we're seeing is all of them are recognizing that They've got some basic skills which they can build on, but they are going to need to transition those skills. Um, but you know, a lot of them are making a lot of them are making good progress. But as you say, um, and without going through all of them, health and safety executive, environment agency, natural resources Wales, Natural England, the North Sea Transition Authority, you know, the the list is long, and there are a lot of regulatory hurdles to overcome. But you know, I think one of the good things about developing infrastructure in the UK is that we have a strong regulatory system that does attract good, stable investment um, and, and does allow us to, you know, progress our projects in a in a well-regulated way. So yeah, we're very supportive of that environment, um, and we yeah we look forward to getting our projects built. Great. So I think hopefully people have got a sense of what the system complexities are now and what what the high net scheme may look like from a from a system perspective but the the seminar itself was systems thinking systems leading so we we're looking at the the role of the leader or leaders uh in in sort of progressing you know schemes i guess not like yours because you're <laughs> a very complex one but but different types of schemes we, we put the spotlight on so um there's a number of things that you, you you mentioned in your in your talk around sort of key lessons that you've gained you know in your role as as project director and if I if I may I'll just uh, pull out a few that uh, that you mentioned uh, Dave so you said uh, the first one was about purpose being big and bold and, and bringing it back to that higher purpose um, to 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 get people on board uh, and if I recall you know the the way you talked about it was that sort of um, uh, breaking that sort of symbiotic link between sort of wealth creation and 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 carbon emissions and, and making them sort of go go hand in hand. Uh, second one was around that integration, uh, you know, making sure all the parts work together. Uh, um, the third one was around relationships. So um, you talked about building a coalition of of organisations that, that that work together. And, and the, the 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 fourth one was around um, leadership in terms of the leaders uh, must be willing and able to make big strategic decisions under conditions of, of high uncertainty and, and and that's perhaps one I'd like to, to focus on you know um, for the re remaining time that we have because as I was listening to the you know to, to your um, project and your explanation of it I was just ticking off all of the uncertainties and ambiguities that you've had to to work through um, you've got 
large parts of um, of the overall system that in themselves are DCO or, or require the you know, development uh, consent orders uh, and you know, aspects around it being sort of uh, nationally significant infrastructure uh, projects in, in in their own right. So you know, I, I can see where those big calls have come from. Um, and uh, lastly, you sort of you mentioned, and, and it's uh, it was one that I sort of wrote down and sort of you know, underlined several times that you felt that the key aspect of leadership was uh, decision making with imperfect information. So perhaps you could just reflect on you know your time as as project director, how you've sort of navigated through you know the, those sort of uncertainties, the ambiguities, and uh, perhaps. You know where you've had to, you know, turn your leadership up to eleven on the on the dial to, to get through it. Yeah, sure. I mean, the, the whole of Hynet's development has been in a landscape of ambiguity, um, technical uncertainty, regulatory uncertainty, and particularly policy uncertainty. And I think throughout the project, there's been growing political ambition in this space, but the translation of that political ambition into a a policy framework you can invest against um, has not not always been there, and it, to be brutally honest, is still not there today. Um, so the the support mechanisms which people are going to need to have in place to make their big investment decisions are not there. So we we've had to work with all of our partners to cajole, nudge, persuade um, them all to invest progressively in the project, even with that sort of uncertainty around commercial commercial returns. But so yeah, there's there's been a lot of navigation through that. Um, but as you get through that, you you build a, a critical mass of the project, which almost gives it a life of its own. Um, and that allows you to drive through some of that uncertainty. But I guess just to pick up on on one or two of the decisions which we, we had to make quite early on in the project. Um, and the reason, and I'll explain why we had to make them early on. So, you know, a really good one is is pipeline sizing. Um so <laughs> One of the biggest challenges in developing an engineering system which involves a pipeline is how big do you make it? Um, because what you really, really don't want to do is make it too small because you really don't want to have to lay another pipeline alongside it in five years time because that upsets everyone and is not, not cost efficient. Equally, you don't want to make it too big because as soon as you make it too big, you've got a white elephant, um, cost is too high, it's, um, your, your regulators push back against it. So navigating that sweet spot is really difficult. But when you have no market, you have no certainty on who's going to connect to it, when they're going to connect. So the, there's an element of judgment in all of that. Um, and it's it's always easy to defer that decision another year or another year or another six months where we might get a bit more certainty. But you you need to anchor your project on some certainty. So mm -hmm. about three years ago, we, we decided that HiNet was going to be a 10 million tonne a year project. Um, so that's the mass flow rate of carbon dioxide through the system on an annualized basis. Um, and we've stuck to that decision. And it's been quite painful at times because there's been times where we said, oh, we're never going to fill that pipeline. There's been times when we said, we're going to fill that pipeline twice over. But once you've made that decision, it then gives you the basis for actually getting some decent engineering done, getting your consenting done. You can start to do all your risk assessments, your actual detailed routing. Um, and it's that which gives the project credibility because you can then put maps in front of people and say, you know, this isn't just a pipe dream, if you forgive the uh, uh, the pun. Um, you know, this is an actual real engineering project, but you need to make big decisions early to allow you to do that. And then once you've got that certainty on the page, you actually get more, more engagement, more partners come on board, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, 
and we've we've done that on numerous aspects of the project but you know pipeline sizing was was one of the big ones fairly early on and i'm pleased to say i'm not sitting here three years on thinking that was the wrong decision yeah and I, and I guess there'll always be a case of it could be slightly too big or slightly too small but just having that you know, marker as you say that enables people to you know to come on board i, I can see how that was a, a critical decision to to make the premise of the the seminar was um systems thinking then systems leading and if we look at the sort of development pathways that that many major project leaders go through there's a lot of emphasis and, and if i was to put a label on it i would use the term sort of linear thinking so a lot of what we learn and experience is around you know what does the plan look like you know when will it come on board when we're we going to get the investment decision there's a lot of you know the 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 sequencing the linear aspects of of project delivery but the systems thinking is more place-based it's more those networks those relationships as you were describing earlier so what can our you know budding leaders you know the leaders of tomorrow do to develop their systems leadership uh, in addition to their sort of linear uh, thinking based leadership that they they need as well so i think a lot of people who end up in leadership roles in in big complex systems projects generally come from a technical background. They've generally supplemented that technical underpinning of their careers with a number of commercial roles. Um, mm -hmm. So they understand how to do big contracts, whether that's with government, whether it's a supply chain. I think one element of, of HiNet which is really important is, is the narrative and is being able to get that narrative across to people because HiNet is big and complex and it is bold, um, it's audacious and you put all that together, it could be quite difficult to explain to the person in the street, that, that mythical person in the street. And we, we do have to go and talk to the mythical person in the street. We, we need that license to, to operate, if you will, uh, that license to go and cause um, construction um, havoc. I don't, well, I shouldn't say havoc, that well-managed construction in, in sort of people's uh, sort of environments. And to do that, you need to be able to talk about what your project is. So, you know, I would strongly encourage anybody who is, you know, coming through major projects to spend time with their communications partners, their communications um, functions, and actually get out to communications events. Because as part of consultation, there will be town hall events, there will be drafty mm -hmm. school halls late on a Wednesday night with sort of three people turning up. Uh, they're really important to go out there and just find out what people think about your project, understand the myths that are out there about your project, talk to people. And I think it will give you a, a really good grounding in always leading in your project description on the narrative and the purpose, not on the, it's this million tons of carbon dioxide or this many um, you know, equivalent of X number of uh, cars off the road, et cetera, but, but talk to people about, as you say, that sense of place, that sense of purpose, that sense of why we're doing this for future generations. Um, and I think having a background in, in communications and engagement will really help systems leaders moving forward. Brilliant. Well, once again, thank you, Dave. Uh, I was, uh, you know, I'm really pleased you were able to uh, join our seminar um, because uh, you know I've been following the the progress of Hynet partly with a vested interest because I can see some of the facilities from uh, from my top floor window um, and uh, you know living in the northwest I think it's it's a great uh, it's a great scheme that's been put together but uh, and and uh, again thank you for coming along for this podcast for those people who are unable to make our seminar thank you very much.